And I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 9 tonight, looking at actually a prayer of Paul's. And again, remember, this is all built on the fact that in everything Christ should become first in all things, chapter 1, verse 18, significance of Jesus in our life. And then because all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily and you and I have been filled in him, we also need to recognize Jesus as our all-sufficient God and that through him we have everything that we need. Paul bases everything that he's going to say or pray in this letter to the Colossians on those two things. In a sense, the supremacy or significance of God and the sufficiency of God. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, is actually one long sentence in the Greek. It's a prayer of Paul's, and it is power-packed. Paul had actually received a report that the Colossians were growing, and therefore he was all the more motivated to pray for them since the enemy reserves his strongest opposition for growing believers. Many times we reserve our prayers for those that are sick. Nothing wrong with that. We should pray for the sick. We reserve our prayers, our intercessory prayers for others because they're struggling. But Paul is reminding us that our prayer life should also include when we're praying for other believers, those that are growing and doing well because they will be special objects of the enemy's attention and attack. Because last week we learned in verse 6, that this gospel had come to the Colossians and it was now bearing fruit and they were growing, you see. So notice, I just want you to follow along with me then as I begin in verse 9. And I just want to read verses 9 through 14. And as we read this, I want to encourage you with this. This is a reminder that our prayers don't have to be long to be great or effective. This is a very short prayer. Probably you and I could... Pray this prayer in less than 30 seconds, but oh, what a prayer it was. So prayers don't have to be long. They don't have to have certain you know, kinds of language in them. It's just a matter of just talking from our heart to God and pouring out our heart to God. You see, prayer is an attitude of God consciousness in our life. It is, it is that desire to commune with God and to communicate with God and to, again, pour out our heart to him. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He heard a great report about how the Colossian Christians were doing, and, and he talked last week about the wonder of God and the work that God wanted to do in them so that they could be part of his workmanship like Paul and Timothy and Epaphras so that as God worked in them, he could work through them. And Paul's going to continue that as he prays for them tonight. So follow along with me as I read this prayer. Paul says in verse 9, For this reason we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with him or with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a great prayer. Now, in this prayer, we're going to see three things. 
Paul last week again was saying, God wants to do a work in you as he wants to do in us. He wants to make us his workmanship. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10. And Paul last week reminded the Colossian Christians that Jesus needs to be the most significant person in relationship in our life and that he is the most sufficient one that we will ever encounter. In him is all that we will ever need. We have enough in him. Now Paul's going to build on that tonight by saying, if you and I truly want to be God's workmanship, then there's three things that we're going to probably ask or we're going to encounter, question. Number one is, well, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is your will for me? If, if, if you're to be first place and, and I want to follow you, then you have a will. You have a plan and purpose for my life. What is that and how do I find that out? Secondly, why do I want to do your will? Why should it be my heart's desire that above everything else, I want to do what your plan and purpose, what your will is for my life. And then finally, how do I do that? How do I accomplish what you have planned for me? Paul lays all of that out in this prayer in verses 9 through 14. The first thing I want us to see is, God, what is it you want me to do and how do I find that out? Paul tells them that he's praying for them to be able to have clarity and confidence with what God's will is for them as a church and for them individually when he says, I'm asking God unceasingly, I'm asking God to, first of all, notice verse 9, to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's first talk about the word fill because it's a key word in the book of Colossians. It's used over in chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says that you and I have been filled in Jesus Christ. The word carries the idea of being fully equipped. It was used to describe a ship in Paul's day that was ready for a voyage. It had been stocked with everything that it needed. All the cargo was in the ship. It was filled. And this word means that what fills us in this sense also drives us, constrains us, is the greatest influence, if you will, in our lives. That's why this word is also used in Ephesians 5.18, where we are exhorted, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let, let the Holy Spirit drive us, guide us, constrain us, lead us, be filled to capacity. Paul is saying, Colossians, I am praying unceasingly that you would be filled up to the brim, if you will, with no room remaining over so that you would know completely what is the knowledge, first of all, of his will. This word knowledge is a very important word. It is a, a knowledge that comes from firsthand experiential knowledge of someone. It's, it's not something you get secondhand. It's something that you and I get through, again, 
communing and fellowshipping and drawing near to God, spending time with Him, just as we would any other human being. How do we get to know each other? By spending time together, by communicating, by drawing near to each other, by getting to know each other's strengths and weaknesses and, and the things that are, are the desires of our heart and, and what is in our heart and all of that. That all comes through a firsthand experience. And because of that, it leads to a very thorough and precise knowledge. See, Paul's saying, I don't want you all in Colossae to be vague or unclear about what God's will is for you. If he is first place in your life and you know that you have everything within him that you're going to need for this journey that you're on, then the next step is, then God, what, what do you have for me to do? And Paul is praying that, that they would be very clear as to what God has for them at this moment in this season. You see, in a sense, Paul is saying, I am praying that you will know your God's heart, that you will know what is in your Lord's heart for you and for us even corporately or as a community of believers. You see, here's the deal. It is possible to be religious and yet not know God. It's even possible to know the Bible and not know God. I will use the example of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. No one knew the Old Testament scriptures more than the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel. But they didn't know God. See, they, they missed the God who wrote the scriptures. You and I have to be very careful that as we lean in to know the Lord, that we're truly knowing Him that we're not knowing about him, but we're knowing him through our firsthand experiential knowledge of him as you and I individually get to know him over time and become more and more thoroughly acquainted with him so that we have a very thorough and precise knowledge of his will. Do we have that tonight? Do we know God's heart for each of our lives? And then Paul says, I'm also unceasingly praying that you will know uh, not only the knowledge of his will, but that in a sense, that will also bring you into all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not earthly wisdom and understanding. Not understanding and wisdom that comes through the eyes or the ears. That's why the Bible tells us, don't walk by sight, walk by faith. Are you and I gaining a spiritual wisdom and understanding? What's that mean, Pastor Jeff? Well, it means, first of all, to be able to see the true nature of things, to be able to have an insight to see below the surface. You see, as human beings, without the aid of the Spirit of God to be able to have spiritual wisdom, all we're going to see is what's above the surface. But God can enable his people to be able to see deeper than what others can see to be able to see beyond what others can see. Again, not that you and I have that capacity on our own, but with the Spirit, you and I can have spiritual wisdom. We can see the true nature of things. We, we can see what's really going on, if you will, beyond what is actually happening. And then the word understanding is the ability to see something a situation, a circumstance from God's viewpoint. How does God see this? What does God think about this? What is God's heart to, towards this? And let's stop for a moment, because I think it's important that you and I at least 
tonight start to go down this road a little bit, and then I'll let you take this as far as you want to. In the situation you and I find ourselves in right now, in this world that you and I are trying to navigate, I hear a lot of talk, even amongst Christians and churches and whatever, about this is what this person's opinion is, and this is what this fellow said, and, and this is what these people are saying, whatever. But what about God? Have we stopped and really tried to discover what's God's viewpoint? How would God want us to be during this? How would God want us to deal with this? You see, our steps should be ordered by the Lord, first and foremost, and, and are we seeing beyond just what is taking place? You see, in my mind, there's much more happening here than just a virus spreading around the world. And as Christians, we should be able to see what's going on spiritually, not just what's going on physically. That's when you and I have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding that only comes from the Spirit as you and I also gain a knowledge of His will. As we spend time with God, we, we can see what's really happening and that there's always something spiritual going on at the same time there's something physical. And God wants us to see both. He wants us to see the physical world that you and I live in and be very well aware of that. But he also always wants his people to be very vigilant and very well aware of the spiritual world around us and what's happening there too. So, first part of Paul's prayer. This is what I'm praying for you because you need to know God's will. If God is going to be first place in your life and you know that you are complete in him and that you've been filled in him, then you're going to want to do his will. And I'm praying that as you spend time with the Lord, that, that the Lord will unveil that to you and that you will have a greater clarity and a greater confidence as to what does God want me to do? This day, this hour, this month, this year, what is it, Lord? What is your will for me? Secondly, why? Why do I want to make the will of God the desire of my heart? Why, why do I want to follow the Lord with his plan for my life rather than maybe doing what I want to do or what somebody else thinks that I should be doing. I want to first go over to verse 13, the end of the prayer, if you will, where Paul reminds all of us, including the Colossians, hey, God has delivered us from the power of darkness. He brought us out of unimaginable danger and peril by a mighty act of power, and Paul's going to start talking about why we should want to do the will of God. And it starts with never getting over that we have been delivered from the power of darkness that you and I could never have delivered ourselves from. Only the hand of God could have delivered us from the power of darkness. We were dead, the Bible says, in our sins and trespasses. The only way out was through calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. And you and I who have done that, we have been delivered from that power because God has authority over the darkness, you see. That's why every one of us is an example. If you and I are a saved individual, we're an example of the supernatural deliverance and power of God. We, we are walking miracles. Every one of us who's a Christian because 
at the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, this great rescue. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate rescue operation? Uh, down through the, even the history of our country, you know, men and women, especially in military and whatever, there's been some unbelievable rescue operations that have gone on. I want to tell you, spiritually, there's been no greater rescue operation than when God saved us. He reached down and he snatched us out of the power of darkness and then transferred us into the kingdom of his son. That's a rescue and none that we could have ever done on our own. And Paul is beginning to build, in a sense, an argument for why pursuing the will of God should be front and center with every Christian. Because of what God has done for us that we need to realize and be thankful for and grateful for every day. He's transferred. You know, it would have been one thing if he just delivered us from the power of darkness. No, then he transferred us into a kingdom, a, a kingdom of light and love because he took us out of the darkness and now he's brought us into this kingdom of light and then he said, oh, and it's a kingdom in which it's a kingdom ruled by his son, a son that God the Father loves and it's a kingdom of love as well as light. And we then follow the Lord who is the king of this kingdom. He's now our king. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, oh, and by the way, when he transferred us, he also redeemed us in whom, Jesus, we have redemption. To be redeemed is to be set free forever through the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter says we were redeemed, set free not through corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. Set free. And Jesus even said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We're being set free as Christians through our sanctification through the Spirit by the, of the power of sin. And one day we will be set free from the very presence of sin when we enter into glory and see Him as He is. Redeemed. Are we enjoying our redemption? And, and are we acknowledging our redemption? Are we grateful for the fact that you and I are not in slavery anymore and in bondage to sin and to the flesh and to the devil, but we have a, a greater, higher power within us in which we can resist and say no and live in victory and overcome rather than always defeat and discouragement. This is our redemption. And then he goes on to say, oh, and let's not forget that part of this salvation was not just transferring us into the kingdom and delivering us from darkness and redeeming us. It is also the forgiveness of our sins. That all of our sins have forever been paid in full through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our spiritual debt completely canceled and erased. He has thrown our sins into the depths of the sea. He has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. They're gone forever never to be brought up ever again. The only one that brings up our sin to us is our accuser. We're forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul then, go back to verse 10, says, after he talks about knowing the will of God and the spiritual wisdom and understanding, says, so that 
You may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects. You see, I think that even that phrase is, is built later on on that, the verses we just looked at, verses 13 and 14, reminding them about our great deliverance and our redemption and our forgiveness and all of that that was involved. Because he says, if you and I understand what God has done for us, verses 13 and 14, then we should want to live worthily of the Lord. The word worthily is a really interesting and great word. It's a word that speaks about something having equal value or worth to what something else is. It's like to, in a sense, balance the scales. It, I guess to say it another way, it would be, what is fitting? What is appropriate? What, what matches, if you will? And so Paul is saying, not that you and I earn it, but that you and I realize that we've been saved by grace. We don't work for our salvation, but after we have received this great salvation, which is something the writer of Hebrews talks about, not neglecting such a great salvation, Paul says, shouldn't we live the rest of our lives worthily of what we've received? In other words, shouldn't we strive to live a life that fits what God has done for us each and every day? Let me use an illustration. In the Gospels, there was a day where Jesus came across 10 lepers and he healed all 10. But the Bible says that in a while, only one of those 10 came back to thank the Lord for his healing. And Jesus' question to the one that came back was, where are the other nine? In other words, the response of the one was correct, but the response of the others was incongruous, if you will, not fitting, not appropriate, not matching what God had done for them. If God healed them, then shouldn't they have returned and thanked him for that? That would have been a worthy response to what God has done. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. If God has delivered us from the power of darkness, if he has transferred us into the Son, uh, into the kingdom of his Son, if he has redeemed us, if he has forgiven us, then shouldn't our life be directed towards living in a worthy, worthy manner, a, a fitting, appropriate manner that matches all that we have and all that we are in Jesus Christ? Which is why then that should lead to, verse 10, pleasing him in all respects. This should be our motivation. This is why Paul is saying that our heart's desire should be to do the will of God because of what we've been given in Christ. Pleasing him should reveal our disposition as believers in Jesus Christ every day as well as our devotion to God. Is that who we get up seeking to please every day is God above everyone else. Because again, in all things, chapter 1, verse 18, he should become first. So that means also that above everyone else that I try to please in my life, the first person, the first relationship I should live to try to please is the God who saved me. Then everything else falls into its rightful place. That's why Paul says, you and I should be striving 
to do the will of God every day. And wasn't it Paul at the very beginning of this letter in verse one who said, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus out of all the things he could have used to characterize who he is and in in a sense describe his identity to the Colossians. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I take great pride and dignity and honor the fact that God is using me to, to, and, and working through me. But he says, by the will of God. It wasn't Paul's idea to be an apostle. It was God's idea. It was God's plan and purpose. And Paul, once he knew who the Lord was when he met him on the road to Damascus and realized that Jesus was his Messiah, he left everything behind for the rest of his life in order to accomplish and achieve and do and carry out the will of God for his life. This is the prayer that Paul's praying for the Colossians, that I want you to know what God's will is, And I want you to know why it should be the heartbeat of your life every day. But then Paul also talks in this great prayer about how do we accomplish that? How do we do that? And notice Paul begins in the middle of verse 10 when he writes, bearing fruit in every good deed. You see, in order to bear fruit, one has to be in partnership with Jesus Christ. This is a concept that you and I cannot be fruitful apart from partnering with Jesus Christ, which is why in that great passage in the Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he then goes on to talk about fruitfulness. But he says, if you're not staying connected or remaining or abiding in me, you can't bear spiritual fruit. Apart from me, you can't do it. You can do nothing fruitful in your life spiritually apart from me. So Paul is saying, how do we do this? By, in a sense, getting up every day and intentionally grabbing a hold of Jesus' hand and saying, Jesus, you and I are partners today. We are in this together, and I'm going to cooperate with you, and I'm going to walk through this day with you. That's the first sort of thing that Paul wants to plan in their mind, is that you and I have to have the mindset that every day we are partnering with Jesus Christ. Then he says, Growing in the knowledge of God. This is a growth that only comes from intimacy with God. Again, it's not a knowledge about God. It's it's a knowledge of God. The same concept that we talked about earlier in discovering the will of God. In fact, over in chapter 2, verse 19, you can look at it there if you have your Bibles handy. Paul, at the end of that, talks about a growth that comes from God. See, that, that's the only growth Paul really cares about. You and I can grow, in a sense, in other ways, but we will never grow spiritually apart from God. And we will never know His will, have the desire to do His will, or be able to do His will apart from continually, continually growing in a growth that only comes from Him from being with him, from fellowshipping with him, from spending time with him. And then Paul says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. See, Paul says, God doesn't expect us to do his will apart from his strength. In fact, it is only God who can give us the ability to do his will. Now let me make an important point here. That means that if you and I are living 
apart from God's strength, that, 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 that his strength is not necessary for what we're doing in life, then that means we're not doing his will. Because to do God's will requires, it is absolutely essential that his strength be necessary. That means then, if I'm doing his will, I must be relying and depending upon him. Otherwise, I'm not doing his will. God's not going to create a scenario where you and I can do his will outside of him. That we, that we can somehow accomplish his will apart from him. No. No way. So you and I, if we're doing the will of God, we do have the reassurance that God will give us his supernatural strength and power in order to do it. But we need it if we're going to do his will. You see. And that his supernatural power is more than enough for us. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you will embrace the will of God and realize that every step you take doing the will of God, God's strength will be there for you as you and I seek it, as we rely upon his strength and depend upon his power. And notice something very interesting here. Many times when you and I think about the power of God and the strength of God, we think about, say, you know, doing miracles or some big deed or something external. But notice here that Paul says you and I as Christians even need God's strength and power just as much for the internal strength that we're going to need as much as the displays of God's strength externally. Why do I say that? Well, notice, Paul says, I'm praying that you will lean on God's strength, first of all, so that you can display all patience. You in need of patience right now? I am. By the way, patience here, this word means to remain calm and composed in the face of unfavorable circumstances. And Paul's saying, God will give us the strength to do that. All patience. To see it all the way through. To remain calm and composed, not when everything's going good, in the face of unfavorable circumstances. And then God will give us a strength to be steadfast. That is the ability to face difficult circumstances courageously and triumphantly. Not to just like grin and bear it and just go, I'm just going to like, you know, fake it till I make it or I'm just going to endure. No, no. It, it's a triumphant looking, the circumstances and the reality in the face and say, I'm getting through this because God's going to give me the strength, which is exactly what Paul said to the Philippians when he says, you and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because he's the almighty God. We have enough in him because he occupies first place in the universe and he is sufficient therefore we can be sufficient in him and then I love what Paul tags on at the end not that it's a leftover it's a big deal but he says oh and that God will give us the strength not only to be patient not only to be patient and steadfast but in all of that to do it joyfully that's where our praise comes in can we get up every day and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
because God's going to give us the strength that we need to do his will for this day, no matter what his will is. Giving thanks, verse 12, to the Father who has qualified you and I to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. All of us have a part to play in the kingdom of God, even now. You see, we've been transferred into this kingdom, and this kingdom right now is an invisible kingdom where Jesus is ruling in the hearts and minds of men and women who have surrendered their lives to him, but one day Christ's kingdom is going to be a visible kingdom. But right now, his kingdom is not of this world. But you and I still have a part to play in the invisible kingdom or in the church today. And Paul is saying, how do I have the reassurance and the confidence to know that I can do his will? Well, you do it in partnership with him. You keep growing in a growth that only comes from God. You keep asking God for his strength and power every day. And oh, by the way, he has promised us that he will make us fit, capable, and competent. That's what the word qualified means. He has qualified you and I to have our share, to be able to fulfill our part in his kingdom right here and now. We don't have to make ourselves competent. We never could. But God is the one who assures us, I'll fit you. I'll train you. I'll put you through the paces. I'll prepare you. I'll do everything in your life as sort of your ultimate spiritual trainer, if you will, to get you to a place where you are fit to do my will, where you are useful to me, where you are an instrument that I look to all the time because I know that you are staying in a good place spiritually, that you are spiritually healthy, that you are spiritually fit and, and in shape, and I can tap you at any time to do my will. That's being qualified. You can leave Colossians tonight. We won't come back there, but I want to take you over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and show you these wonderful verses again that have been such an encouragement to me. In fact, these verses God used in my own life years ago whenever I was wrestling with God about starting a church and telling God, I don't want to start a church. And God, one of the reasons I don't want to start a church is because I'm not adequate. I, I don't have what it takes to start a church. God led me to these verses, and I want to share them with you tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Paul says, now we have such confidence in God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming for ourselves, but our adequacy, our competency, our fitness is from God who made us adequate to be servants of a new covenant. Not based on the letter, but on the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, This is the culmination of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And this should be the prayer that you and I pray for one another and that we even pray for ourselves. Paul is saying to the Colossians, if Christ is first place in your life, and if you know that you have been filled in him and that he is sufficient, then the next turn you and I should take is, then God, what do you have for me? What is your will? And Paul begins to unceasingly pray that these Christians in Colossae would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what is God's will for my life? And then Paul goes a step further. He says, now I want to also share with you a little bit about why God's will should be the heartbeat of your life every day. Because you and I have been delivered. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus 
who rules that kingdom. Therefore, we should live worthily of the salvation that we've been given every day. The way we live should fit the great gift that we've been given, the great privilege and honor of being a child of God in order to please Him in all that we do. And then Paul says, and I'll even tell you how, do you do, how you do it. You become partners with Jesus Christ every day. You grow and continue to grow with a growth that only comes from you and God. You look to God for the strength and power that you need in all things. And you trust and have faith in the promise of God that he will qualify you. He will make us fit. He will make us competent for His will. Whatever He has planned for us, He will qualify us for. That's not up to us. God has taken that responsibility on Himself. Paul says that's how you and I do the will of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank You tonight for this wonderful prayer that was laid upon the heart of Paul, not only to pray for the Colossians, but then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write down for us that we might benefit from thousands of years later. God, first of all, this prayer certainly stirs in our hearts and motivates us and inspires us to be men and women and young people of prayer. To realize that prayer is simply an attitude of God-consciousness. It is the desire to commune with God and to communicate with Him from our heart. And God, I pray that during these days that we would spend much time in prayer. Not only praying for ourselves, God, and asking You for things that we need, but God, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many who are hurting and struggling right now, really all of those around us, Many who have lost their health, lost their jobs. Unimaginable trials that, Lord, people are going through right now. And I, I ask God that you would help us to be sensitive to those around us and how we can help and encourage and build them up. But God, also, more than anything, I pray that out of this prayer tonight that you have revived within us a desire to know your will, to do your will, and to have the confidence that we can pull it off, not because we're competent, but because you'll make us competent, God. God, there's no greater life we could live on this earth than following your will for our life. And so, God, I pray tonight that each of our hearts would be open to embrace whatever you have for us, God, go with us now through the rest of this week. Bring us all back together on Sunday. Once again, that we can connect with you and connect with each other even long distance. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, before I let you go tonight, don't forget my son has these podcasts going out every day on the Rooted.Productions site uh, that you can connect to him there. Don't forget to join us now back here on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, right here. We'll be back beginning, or I should say rejoining our series in the Gospel of Luke. We hope you'll join us for that. And don't forget to check out my blog. Hopefully that will be an encouragement to you as well. And you'll be seeing some extra things from me coming as well. God bless. Thank you guys for being here.
We'll see you soon.